Welcome to your sophomore year at the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk out of turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy and class in session. I'm pure Scott. So have you always been a beard man? Uh, well, in the uh, 60s, I, I grew it. Uh, I, I had it off for, for quite a while. And then I uh, decided I would grow it back uh, around 2014. And by then it had gone from uh, brown to uh, gray white. Oh, man. You know, first of all, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show <laughs> created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and today I am joined by special guest Max Limburger actor, model, and uh, man of many talents. And he is now telling me what I have to look forward to because I just got that white stripe down the front of my goatee and my beard there. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm there. I'm, I am on the path. But beautiful beard, my man. Oh, well, th thank you. And, and honestly, it is part of what helps me get cast for things. You know, when I grew my hair out and, and the beard, I did all this modeling stuff to create a portfolio of model-ready stuff. Then the films, of course, I get cast as an old guy because I look like an old guy. <laughs> I want the guy that tries to frame you up as a child. Yeah. Kind of like those uh, 1960s or 70s Looney Tunes where they always have, like, the small person yeah. with the cigar that's, like, 50 years old trying yeah. to play a baby. Right. That would be pretty fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's true, but this is genetic. I got a lot of hair at my age. I'm 71, um, and uh, you know, by that age, a lot of guys don't have any anymore. Yeah, my my uh, my father, um, he's uh, he's been losing the fight for some time. But I did, and somebody out there, non purist column, uh, that means not an accredited school. It's on the logo. Um, I believe you get your hair genes from your mother's yes. father and my grandfather. You get it from your mother's side. Yes. When my grandfather passed away um, last year, rest in peace. He had the most beautiful head of silver hair. It was always there he never lost a single bit of it and i thanked him every time i saw him that's, for it. that's right and <laughs> you know i've told a lot of people there no matter what anybody says uh you know uh, modeling and other things genetics is a factor and you know you just have to figure out how to make your genetics work for you <laughs> um, so how to showcase what your highlights actually are and give people what they're what what they believe they should be looking for. Well, that's that's true. But on the other hand, see, I picked the wrong parents for my MBA career. Uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> but I I picked it. But you know, I got it. I got it right for this hair beard thing, uh, which does give me a very unique uh, look. Yeah, you could cross a lot of divides with that. You can go from professor to, you know, wise, you know, you could even be like Cheech Marin if you are not Cheech, but uh, Chong or something like that. You can do all sorts of stuff with the beard. I have played a dean. One of my first speaking roles was as a caffeine crazed homeless patron of a coffee shop. Um, you know, um, so so this is the this is the homeless patron with enough money to get jazzed 
up on caffeine? Uh, well, because he's panhandling for it. <laughs> he's panhandling for Starbucks. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I like this role. Yeah, you know, it's, oh, it was. It, it, it's fun to do really goofy people, and this guy was was plenty goofy, um, and he had he had some issues. Uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly. So I want to catch everybody up here for a second. So Max came on for what what I thought was such a cool and uh, unique. Uh, background, and that is that uh, he started, uh, you started acting at the age of, what was it, 69? Yeah, 68. Uh, yeah, 68. I started the journey 69. Yeah, 69. Right. <laughs> you know, what was your career before this? Uh, how far do you want me to go back? <laughs> well, let's uh, you're probably a man of many different uh, career paths, which makes complete and total sense to, you know, for where you are now. But what uh, what crosswords were you at when uh, when you decided to model and act? Uh, well, first of all, my my journey starts in 1959. I, I went to see nice. Steve Reeves in Hercules and I said, that's what I want to do. I, I want to do that. Now, in 1959, for a Catholic boy, that is non-starter. That's, that's not going anywhere. Um, so nobody wants the uh, the child in a Catholic family to go off to be uh, Mr. Reeves there because they, they, the cover of that, he had, it was like unchained and the guy looked super, super cool. Right, yeah. And, and, and he had a beard. And, yeah, he did. He did. And, and he could do big, you know, big things. And so, you know, sword and sandal movies have always been, uh, you know, one of my favorite genres. Um, but that was a terrible idea. So, you know, I went on with life, took all that, had an athletic career and everything. And then suddenly, um, you, you know, you're in your late 60s and I'm, um, I, I, had un I had undergone a, sort of a body transformation, having gained a bunch of weight, being sick and, you know, and then I got rid of it. So I started look looking good again. And... I'm 68 years old. The 50th high school reunion is looming out there. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I just always wanted to do this thing. And everybody who said that's a bad idea, they're gone. There's no they're one. They're not in your life anymore, are they? Yeah, they're taking a dirt How nap. relieving is that, by the way? I've told a lot of people who are afraid of getting older, when you get into your 60s, all of a sudden, all sorts of life taboos just start to fall off like dead scales. Amazing how that works out, right? It is because, you know, that certainly happened to me. And so I said to myself, well, what started my journey was I just wanted to be an extra in a film where I get to wear armor. That's pretty cool. Now, I love at 68, 69, you want to wear a sword, sandals, and armor. Right. Yeah. And so... I did some research on it and they said, well, you got to go get some pictures taken so that a casting director could see how you look. And I went and did that. And the woman who did my portfolio for me, she said, you know, you've got a pretty unique look for a man your age. You ought to think about doing some modeling. And she encouraged, she said, I'm starting an agency and would you like to be a model in my agency? And I said, well, why not? And then from there, you know, she encouraged me to go to apply to a couple of other commercial agencies around. And I've done that. And so it's just sort of been one thing after another, but it, it literally started with me acting on a lifelong desire of just wanting to get into a movie. Now, I'm no closer to being in that movie. <laughs> I would 
argue that you are just as close to getting into that movie as anything else. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the funny thing. You know, you just keep finding the next thing. That's sort of my motto. You know, next, what's next? Try to find what's next and keep going on to what's next and things keep happening. So back to your original thing of careers. Uh, if I go back, my, my family had very strong bent on, on health care. So I originally started out in pre-med and completely bombed out in that. Did work in a hospital for a while. I got an MBA because I thought it would open some doors for me uh, career-wise. And uh, I was in the insurance industry in a bunch of different capacities for a number of years, and that didn't work out so well. As a matter of fact, um, I was recently approached by my, my MBA alma mater, and they have offered to refund all of my tuition if I will disavow any affiliation with the university, because I'm so far behind on career earnings and titles that I'm wrecking their brain. <laughs> Are you serious? Of course they not. They called I'm, you out like that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what the hell kind of university does that? That's wow. <laughs> I was like, I, I was, that's why I had that look on my face. I was like, is, is this even a possibility? I was like, because my university probably clipped mine a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I am I am an embarrassment to the MBA community. of uh, Now, um, along the way, I bombed out of that business. Um, I was very smart. I, I married a smart woman with, with a really great career. She's an administrative law judge working for the state, regular hours, all of that. We had a couple of kids. And when I lost my job and, and essentially went through kind of a career collapse, nobody really wanted what I had to offer <laughs> anymore. I bet now you know why they didn't want what you had to offer. Yes, <laughs> they were right. <laughs> exactly. I try to explain that to people. That if you don't want yourself right. at that moment in time or what you're selling, if it isn't authentic to you, it is not authentic to who you're trying yeah, to sell it, it to it, either. Exactly. So, you know, we had a couple of kids and her intention was always to be the at-home mom and I would be the, you know, very successful, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. And uh, that wasn't working. So I said, why don't I stay home? How, how hard could that be? So I became an at-home parent, and uh, about six weeks into that, I was down at the Women's Center trying to surrender. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can, you, can you take these? Can you take these? Can you take me? I'm sorry, Mom. Yeah. Now, along the way, I, I did acquire some handyman skills. I didn't come from a handy family, but I discovered at 41 that I should have been an electrician or a blue collar person. I just had a natural affinity uh, for that stuff. And it ended up, as my kids got older, I started doing handyman work for hire. You know, that was where I really belonged, but I never got exposed to it. So you couldn't know. And I, you know, really had a pretty long career. I still work. I work for a property management company, but now I'm a, I'm a knowledge worker for them. I go around and inspect their properties and tell them what needs to be done to get things up to rental standard. So it's a great gig uh, for an old guy because I get paid pretty well because I know a lot of stuff. 
Um, hey, yeah, put your knowledge to use. Use it for uh, for what yes. it is. You know, put it into the machine, get a check for it, and then pursue what you really love. Right. Yeah. And so the day job as well have, has to have supports this madness of modeling and acting and everything else. Uh, and it's working, you know, very well as far as I'm concerned. That's amazing to hear. And these are not your normal career paths. These are the ones that expose you to society at its rawest for judgment. And like you had said earlier, the older you get, the more you shed taboos. And I think you also, you shed the societal ideals of what you're supposed to be, you know, in everybody else's eyes. I hear that when you discuss, you know, the different careers that you had gone through throughout your life. I did, you know, similar things from military to insurance to global consulting to all sorts of things like that. And I think what it comes down to is... We start out our lives with the original authenticity and intent to become what is natural to us. And then we take on these layers of experience, judgments, and, uh, you know, societal things that basically prevent us from being who we were originally intended to be. But I think it's also what the midlife crisis was born of. Uh, that's, yes, uh, uh, very well stated. So uh, put philosopher on your, uh, or life. <laughs> life. I, I, I am a cartoon philosopher. Cart that's what I've. Uh... Cartoon philosopher. Uh, although I, I, I tell you, you know, that's exactly it. And that really helped me with my parenting because my number one child had some learning issues that we just never really got addressed. But we are in a school district that had shop. I got him into shop classes that he took to like crazy. Um, he's a millennial. Uh, he's a union welder now. And so what I say is he's the only millennial who gets paid a living wage, has health insurance, a pension program, and no college debt. Yeah, that's, here's the thing. Who said that we had to be a certain type of person in order to be successful, happy, uh, or any of those things? I, I don't know. That's the Greek chorus of our lives, uh, you know, that's... Oh, uh, that, but define, define the Greek chorus. I, li I like this term. Well, in Greek plays... In lieu of a narrator, you would have a group of people who would say things that provided the emotional and intellectual backdrop for things that happened. So that chorus that's going on in your head that says you should do this, you should do that, that consists of everybody who's all around you kind of is a is a chorus. It's like a game of chicken inside the mind versus the opposite side. And you're right. There is a chorus out there and it defines us from the moment that we're born. It gives us right. not only our, you know, five senses, you know, and, and how we move through society, but it also denies us all of the other potentials that we think we don't have based on other people's failures to create or something along that lines. It's simply because they weren't pursuing what they were supposed to to begin with. Right. So for our number two son, he, he's a musician and school wasn't very interesting to him. The one passion that he had was playing guitar and he went to college and, and bombed out, which didn't surprise us. And, you know, he said, I really want to do this musical thing. And we said, go for it. Just absolutely go for it. That, that in your 20s, just go for it as hard as you can. And if this fails, you won't have the thing of being 50 and say, oh, I should have done this. 
you're setting an example for a lot of people here. And I feel like this generation, your generation, my generation, we've been given a task. And that is to break the genetic and hereditary insanity of that Greek chorus. Yes. And to uh, pursue what is natural to us. Right. And uh, I commend you for making that pivot in the DNA and giving your children, <laughs> empowering them. That's different. Uh, I mean, it really is. Yes. That's a hard decision. Yes, it is. But on the other hand, you know, when you say, gosh, if someone had done that for me. Now, I did do men's groups for a while, and you can't go too far in, into men's things without coming up with people who are abused. In fact, you know, I told my, my second son, the reason he's not as successful as a musician as he could be is he didn't come from an abusive family. You couldn't be any, any, any more correct. <laughs> Struggle creates art. Yes, it, it does. It, it is expressed in art. But somewhere along the line, I realized that you can make choices. You can choose to be different from you. You don't have to be a slave to background. That you can choose to be different. I like that, choosing to be different. That, that you have to you have to choose. So when you say, oh, you know, I'm an abuser because I came from an abusive family and my dad was abusive and that's why I'm abusive. It's like, no, you know, there's this certain point where you can choose a different path or you have to choose a different path to break that. I would say that comes once every couple of generations. Yeah, that's that's true. It's a hard cycle to break for the simple fact that it's layers of experiences over time that create the person that's standing oh. there. And if you don't have that foundational knowledge of what it's like to live without that upbringing, then you're going to repeat the cycle for some time. So, you know, you have to stick, you know, the proverbial stick into the spoke of the the tire in order right. to, to break that cycle. Uh, yes, I, I agree. So, yeah, you know, at a certain point, uh, your greatest pride comes from your children succeeding on their own terms or succeeding at their life. And that's a great source of my pride. You know, meanwhile, I'm, I'm doing this thing that, you know, you get stuck to and going, hey, look at me, look at me. <laughs> yeah, it is odd to live your life not trying to expose yourself because that's what we do. You know, unless we're one of the peacocks of society, because, you know, those are the ones that we admire. The rest of us are just trying to fly under the radar. <laughs> and once you have to come out there and Superman reveal your chest and start thumping on it in front of everybody and saying, look at me, that's an uncomfortable situation, too, because you've got to love me in order to take all those eyes. That's 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 true. Although uh, my superpower is invisibility. <laughs> I think I speak for many older men, you know, that you do all this, but you still sort of feel invisible because when you go to social media, there are people out there who I, I can't get my hands around somebody having 50,000 followers that 50,000 people would give up rats. Well, let me try. Let me try to help you. Right. <laughs> and put this in our generational terms. It's kind of like having baseball cards. <laughs> You can give two fucks about who's on the cards, really. But the more you had, the cooler you were. <laughs> and you didn't know anything about those people, but what they gave you on the card. It's all it is. They don't know them. They don't care about them. All they want to know is what to emulate so that they don't have to stick out 
like a sore thumb. Yeah. That's it. That's you know that I I hadn't thought of that. That's a that's a very good analogy. But you know, truthfully, in in this stuff that I'm doing of acting and modeling, you have to work on your visibility. You have to be seen. You can't get discovered without being seen. But you know, you do have to control how you're seen. For instance, I'm not going over to Pornhub and releasing a bunch of videos. I love you more, Max, than ever. Like you could do, hold on, hold on, hear me out, hear me out. Okay. You don't have to act necessarily in the porn but you could be an extra that like just walks through you know it's like sorry you know you're gonna have to go somewhere else and not do this here you know you could just be whomever in the background so i'm just giving you options well that's maybe a sword and sandals one yeah an extra just (laughs) holding holding the cape (laughs) you can take the cape off of the gladiator yeah (laughs) something Oh my God. I don't know. But you know what? That's no less an acting gig than anything else. That's true. Speaking of being seen, lately I have become a regular on, uh, we have a local shopping network here that reaches 70 million people. It's now the, the that channel doesn't necessarily get 70 million people tuning in. But it's on cable systems that go to 70 million households. That's amazing. Which, by the way, online shopping, man, there is an art to seduction of the mind in there that you will sit for an hour and want to buy the most nonsensical item that you have no need for. No need except for the one time in four years that it's good for. But you will focus. So that I would argue those 70 million people, whenever they're on, they'd be triple focused on you. Well, and I demonstrate exercise equipment for this thing. And it just amazes me that, yeah, they literally sell thousands of these things that we're demonstrating. You know, you're there in a studio with just some other people. And the idea that millions of people might, you know, be be seeing you. Yeah, it's an odd thought. But on a more practical sense, I have in the short time I've been doing this, gotten some good advertising jobs, some some good things, you know, a bunch of things have happened to me and very little of it has come from the traditional way. So if you're going to do a commercial for, I don't care who it is, Menards, anybody else, uh, you know, you go and you do an audition and they audition hundreds of people and they pick you. And I have not gotten work that way. All of the work that I have had has been direct placement because somebody saw me somewhere else and they said, that's that's the guy. That's the guy we want. Funny how that uh, how that works. Before you said you were peddling yourself to all these companies when you had no faith in what you were actually selling because it was not authentic to who you are but then all of a sudden when max is being max you know 2.0 or i would argue actually 1.0 you were 2.0 all those things and you went back to 1.0 it didn't matter how you were presenting yourself through the normal societal means of social media and things like that you were having everything knock on your doorstep and that's because i would argue you were being you yeah i you know that that is uh, very true although you have to be you with with an I- idea of 
where you're you're going. There is no direct path from here to there, but you have to keep moving somewhere. So it's what do I need next? You know, what would work next? Wave your arms around and maybe they'll put you on the Tragedy Academy. <laughs> I mean, isn't that how isn't that how I got here? You sent out a thing looking for people and I said, Oh, I think I'd yep. make a great guest. Yep. <laughs> you you did. And and what was so unique about it is you did make these changes and and start that pendulum swinging the other direction. It's something that, that stands out amongst your peers. And that's not, you know, to say that it's simply because of your age or the time frame or things like that. It's the mental changes that you go through when you take these types of steps. Hey, academics. Have you endured life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? Did you adapt and overcome? Do you have advice for others to pay forward and want to be a guest? Then email us a brief two to three minute video to show at thetragedyacademy.com and tell us how our academics can learn and grow from these experiences. Thanks again for your support. Now back to class. You had said before that you were an athlete. What, what type of athlete were you? Well, I was a multi-sport athlete as a kid. Basketball was, was my main thing. When I was 18 years old, I had a 36-inch vertical. I could almost dunk a basketball, but I'm only 5'9". So nice. So colleges didn't come looking for five nine guys. (laughs) (laughs) Not unless not unless you were really really something. Um, Yeah, you're like Spud Webb or something. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. You have to be like Spud Webb if anybody even knows that name anymore. Uh, Oh yeah, probably. I just dated the shit out of myself. Yeah, you did. so, yeah, I did lots of different sports, aged out of playing basketball, picked up tennis in my 30s and skiing, you know, been physically active at things all of my life. I'm a gym rat now. I'm with a trainer a couple of days a week and I'm in the gym about four days a week. And actually, you know, it was it was kind of a change in my physique that got me rolling a little bit on this. I have a little bit different looking physique than your normal 70 year old guy. That would make sense. I mean, if you're a gym rat, and you've always worked out look at my pictures that um, that's one of those things that kind of distinguishes me along, uh, you know, with with the hair. I'm Certainly not one of those Greek gods, <laughs> you know, who's ripped and and everything else. But you know, I've worked pretty regularly at that because I I, I like doing it. You know what though? I, I I like that you pointed that out that you're not a Greek god. But isn't it funny how that choir tells you in order to be successful, you must be? Well, I recently got signed by a very prestigious agency called Naturally Fit Agency. They represent professional athletes and all kinds kinds of of people, very young. And, you know, if you look at their board, as they call it, it's all young guys who are ripped and full of muscles and whatever. And I don't know what happened to them. Somewhere along the line, they decided that maybe they should start signing some older people. Um, you know, one of the things I sing a lot is saying, hey, look, I'm an aging baby boomer. We're 26% of the adult population, but we probably control 70% of the disposable income in this country. Don't you want some of my money? Oh, yeah. 
that's that's definitely a factor in this decision. Yes. Yes. And so they put me in their, they call it their lifestyle division. Now I'm still completing stuff for them, getting photos for them, but they like the fact that, you know, I have an athletic looking figure plus my agent. I don't know how they're going to use me. And I don't know if I'll ever get anywhere. Well, that's an inclusive company though. I like this. Yeah. It's very inclusive because I, I will tell you without a doubt that the fashion industry is very ageist. Yeah, that was on our list of things that I wanted to discuss, you know, stepping into this. What types of things are you seeing, you know, ageism wise? Oh, well, if you look around now, let's distinguish several different things that I do. There's film, there's commercial um, stuff, and then there's what they call fashion editorial. So that's your, your modeling, your runway stuff and things like that. That's the one that's the most ages, except for celebrities. The fashion world does not use 70 year old men. They just don't. Doesn't matter how good they look. Let's face it. The majority of men at 70 years old have resigned to things that have elastic or polyester (laughs) or anything that does not restrict them. Well, that that might be true. But the other thing that is true is that there's also a lot who who aren't. But, you know, as I've said to many people, when, when I go out to social media, I don't see anyone who looks like me. No, absolutely not. I, I can attest to it. When I saw your pictures, your modeling photos, I was like, this dude is legit. It looks like you should be selling a Corona. You're like, who is that guy? The world's most uh, mysterious uh, oh, man oh, or whatever oh, yeah. it is. His name is Jonathan Goldsmith. He's one of my heroes. The mo- world's most interesting man. I, yeah, that's what he's interesting, I, I, man. I've even done a pose very similar to the one that he had published. Uh, and he's in his 80s, and he still does promotion work for a liquor company. I believe it. Yeah. in 80s? Yeah, yeah. And the age thing, think about it. You know, the guy who's going to buy a luxury suit, a guy who's going to buy a luxury car, you know, those luxury things. They put a 25-year-old guy in a skinny suit. What is that? Yeah, that ain't happening because he doesn't have the money to fill the right. suit he most of the, the time. Money, you know, uh, uh, maybe a day trader and uh, somebody who's made yeah. who's made a fortune and and takes this fashion wear from Mark Zuckerberg. Um, you know, are the only people who are wealthy enough to buy that stuff. And so, you know, in that business, they don't use anything. I mean, now I do have the distinction of, according to anybody who knows anything, of being the oldest man to ever walk in a runway event in the Minnesota Fashion Week thing. And I kind of wheedled my way in into that. How did, what, what, so you wheedled in. So is this like you just jumped on the runway mid-walk no, and just well, started strutting? Or? Well, the way that <laughs> happened is the guy who was the promoter of it, who's a big actor uh, in the area, when it came time to creating these things, he said, I want to do a really, just for men, he wanted this, and he wanted it to be really inclusive. And so I said, you got an old guy, an old white guy? You know, you can't claim that you're being inclusive if you don't have an old white guy. And he put According, to the, according <laughs> to the world, we are the most abundant out there. Yes, I know. <laughs> but if you look at, at you know, any fashion, in your run, you don't see, you know, that's another place on the runway. You don't see men past age 50. Mm-mm. No, you yeah. don't. Yeah, don't. Don't doing that. And so you're, you're throwing away a quarter of the population for doing it. Now, so he, um, he put me in this show. <laughs> and, uh, That's amazing. Congratulations. It was, it was, it was, it was very strange. Um, 
Now, I get why for models, you know, the other problem I have is, you know, too short and too old. Uh, you know, fashion models for men, typically they want you at least 5'11", if not six feet tall. And I get it that when you're tall and thin, that the clothes hang different, you know, you become like a hanger. And so, you know, they look different on you. And what I had going through in this one is that this particular event uh, was sponsored and, and the clothier was a very high-end men's clothier. So, of course, they would have clothes that would fit a guy who's 5'9". Oh, yeah. They're, they're tailored. They know exactly what they're doing. Right. So, you know, that particular thing wasn't a, a problem. Now, the funny thing about this was that the event was relatively small and we were walking on a, on a really small runway. And I mean, all of these really fancy clothes, like, you know, a $3,000 sport coat and a $2,000 pair of pants. And we're coming out one at a time and I hit the runway and I took about two steps and people started screaming. And I was thinking, what, what is going on? People love a dapper older man. Well, and it took me a while to realize, you know, I was back in the thing going, what, you know, what was this all about? And then I realized, well, you know what? All of the gatekeepers of the fashion industry are older women uh, in, in this community. And so to see somebody from their age cohort out there, you know, was a real thrill for them. So they were just acting like teenage girls. <laughs> I love it. You know, and on top of that, when you see your generation represented in something like that, it gives you, you know, it's transference. You feel the elation and the pride of that person that's walking up there the same. People yeah. don't see that. We set examples for people when we're in these roles, modeling, acting, music, that type of thing. Oh, I, I, I agree. You know, it can be a vehicle. I, I have a friend through, uh, through modeling, and she is a very, very successful plus-size model. Just, uh, you know, a terrific career. Got a great, great attitude about body and body positivity. And it's just been such an inspiration to a lot of young women. And I told her at one point, look, you're not schlepping clothes. You're changing lives. That people Agreed. See, people see you and they see what they can be in the body that they have. And that's so inspirational. It really is. I, I interviewed somebody recently. We're releasing the show soon. I'm, I'm going to, uh, Janet Comrie Quirk, I think is her name. Um, but she and another woman uh, founded the National Plus Guide. Uh, I think it's .org or .com. Um, at any rate, it's a service that finds plus-friendly places to shop or to uh you know to be a customer at because it actually has the items or it's inclusive in that manner oh yeah you know that's the biggest problem is the stuff doesn't fit um, nothing fits right i've done i've done the weight roller coaster myself oh, okay yeah. it was very eye-opening you know i was i was an athlete uh, in the military and things like that and then uh, got on head meds the wrong head med gained a lot of weight um out of nowhere you know and and i felt the pain of people that that are overweight and the shame and the stigma that comes with it and shopping in places that you wouldn't normally shop because they don't have the size that, you know, actually fits you. 
or you're trying to become athletic and you're trying to get, you know, the weight down, but everything for people over a certain weight is at TJ Maxx and fluorescent and probably has a neck hole that's too small <laughs> or some other issue in it right? because, you know, fat people don't work out. Right. Yeah. Um, according to the industry. According to the industry. Yeah. So if you yeah. make them look like fucking highlighters <laughs> with a, you know, an eating condition, <laughs> maybe they'd show up. It's true. So, yeah, you know, the, so, you know, you got to break stereotypes and uh, that can be an inspiration to other people. The idea, you know, that I might be an inspiration to o- older men or something is, um, you know, that's 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 pretty cool. I mean, I, 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 I like it is cool. I, I, I like that. And I don't see myself as being a, a, a runway model, but I am going back again this fall. They asked me to come back for the show. Max, you're a runway model. <laughs> yeah. Once you do something, then you are that. Uh, or you, you have you done know, that. That's, that's, that's true. I put it on the, uh, yeah, you know, you put it on, on the on the resume. It says I'm a runway well, model. Hey, if it's on the resume, then it's there, you know? When I, I originally thought, boy, I would like to be a fitness model. But, of course, my idea of a fitness model was that I would be in GQ or I would be in men's health. I would be in Not New Balance, <laughs> you know. And, and, well, in, instead, I'm on Shop HQ uh, selling these things. And here's the crazy thing: more people have probably seen me on Shop HQ than ever see a GQ magazine. So if you if you judge yourself in in terms of exposure, I'm a far more successful fitness model in what I'm doing than where I wanted to be. You would have killed to be in the other location and then find out that you're better off in the, in the unknown location that you weren't looking for. Right. The, yeah. The thing. Well, and that's that's why you got to keep going forward. and You got to you know, you got to keep looking to see what's next because you might miss something. Do you find that uh, mindfulness helps you keep an eye out for things like oh, that? Uh, yes. Mindfulness is, well, I, I, I did go through a body transformation and I realized I, I had a food problem in that, um, you know, I love food and, uh, you know, I love, yeah. I love the bad kind of Who food. Doesn't? Yeah. And I, I kind of realized that, yeah, I'm the cookie monster, um, you know, the unconscious uh, thing that mindfulness is the first step toward mastery that you have to be mindful of what you're doing. And so I've, I've worked a lot. And again, back to the chorus things, you're so tuned into those other voices that you can't be mindful. And I, I would say I have worked on that a lot of just trying to be mindful of get into the present moment. Um, you know, the two bad places to be, you know, the, the, the two places that really are, are soul killers are living in the regret, which is, you know, in, in the past, and then worry, which is the future. Neither one of those you know, you can do anything about. And if you can just stay in the present moment, that's where you want to be. Very wise words, very wise words. It's, it's, you know, I always say tomorrow and yesterday are actually a figment of our imagination because we've never been to either one. <laughs> we, we try to be in it. We try to exist in it. We try to manipulate now so much that we will be prepared for something that still doesn't exist or regret. That's a fucking fun one. Yeah. It's just sitting there like a sack of shit over your shoulder <laughs> and you're just walking around with it. Would it 
never will exist again in its same construct. Right. It's not there anymore. Right. The one thing the choir keeps telling us is that we have to live in the refrain. And that's bullshit. Yeah, that's bullshit. You, we, we're allowed to move on and write, you know, new tracks and new things and not live in those. I feel like our existence is always tied to the fact that we're not looking at now. And that's part of that. That Greek choir is holding not just talking to us. They're, they're also holding shiny objects in front of us to keep us looking back and forth and back and forth. You know, all the while missing the fact that we're probably standing in heaven already. That's very true. And I, I think that, you know, when you do that, or one of the things that, that makes it hard is you have to realize that if you want to make a major change in your life, you're probably going to jettison all the people that you know, because they're not going to be able to deal with you. Nope, because you're actually you now. Yes, yes. It's, it is a bit of deceit in life. When we have to remember that when we do hit that juncture and we do become authentic, that you're correct. You are going to shed relationships. And the key is not to mourn them. Just right. like that shame and those other things, you got to basically put those marks on the wall. This is number four, strike through number five. That's an experience. I remember number five. It's on the wall. It's on the wall, but I'm not repeating number That's five. Right. Yeah, and it's please, unfortunate yeah. I don't need it anymore. Yeah, please, uh, <laughs> well, you know, if you think about uh, addictions, um, that's what makes, say, alcoholism so bad is all your friends are also drinkers. And, and so, you know, if you want to create a new path, you're going to get rid of your social network, in essence. You know, it's a construct to defend the weaknesses within our own mind. And we, we grab all these different sets of people to plug all those unworthy holes that we have. And what we don't realize is that they're never going to fill those holes. Yeah. They're simply masking tape over them. And once you go ahead and look at what actually created the hole then you don't have to worry about it because the right people are going to come to you. That's, yes, that's very true. How come you're not like Joe Rogan, all this wisdom that keeps flowing through this <laughs> microphone? <laughs> Thank you, by the way. He's, I'll never be Joe Rogan, you know. He's, well, you're not. He's amazing. You're not, yeah, you're not, you're not yeah. Joe Rogan. <laughs> well, this is true. Um, that said, it's... Honestly, I to to give you an idea. I don't. I I I don't really talk about this that much on the show, but I think it's probably this. This is a good. This is a good point to discuss. You know, over the last couple of years, it's been a change in my life as well. That's where the Tragedy Academy came from. I worked with my partner Eric for a while on it, um, and now he's a writer. But essentially, this was the culmination of a lot of years of wearing different masks. You see masks on the uh, the logo. They do represent something and they represent the different forms that we take on throughout our lives to appease other people but when in reality like we're walking away remembering the past remembering the future or thinking about the future all that kind of thing our masks have to maintain those scars those wounds and instead of maintaining one mask you know with all of its glory we actually carry around a sack of fucking masks <laughs> and we start putting them on each time. Yeah. We have to remember which mask we left off at. It's 7 of fucking 11, right? Yeah. You know, or wherever else in my career. I got my interview mask. I got my whatever mask. And I found that 
in reality, what had happened was I was going down all these paths because I did not know who I actually was. And I was trying to fulfill all these different roles. And each time I got to a different juncture, I would collapse again unfulfilled. It was material items, you know, hey, if you get an Audi or if you get, a, you know, this or that, you know, then you've made it. I, at one point I had like a little fake $100,000 bill on my monitor at work, you know, like I don't even think they make those, but if they do, whatever. But I had it there. I was like, all right, if I get to six figures, you know, that's what it'll be. And I tell my friends, because I grew up without money. I grew up poor, poor as shit. And I try to explain to people that you will waste a shit ton of your time if you get out of there pursuing what you think is happiness when all it is is scotch tape and fucking popsicle sticks holding up every middle fucking class house in the goddamn world. They don't show you that. They don't show you that false societal, you know, cage that you have to operate within. So for me, I just got to the point where I had not expressed what was naturally what I was designed to do. You know, a couple of wrong turns in childhood where, hey, don't laugh so much. Hey, you're out of line. Hey, that's not the proper way to act, you know, or bullies or things that, you know, get into your way throughout your childhood. Or, you know, when you're in the military, you have different junctures where you meet different people and they change your outlooks on different things and you grow and then you come back out and you find that it's a different set of rules. You start working in corporate America and then you find that, why can I do all these roles? Why am I able to do each one? And why are they not fulfilling, right? And, and I came to realize that I can do anything because anything's possible, but I can only be happy if I'm doing what's natural to me. And that's when I came to that realization that I feel like everybody else walks around listening to the Greek choir rather than listening to their own heart. Yeah, and 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 that voice inside you is a very quiet little voice too. It's, uh, you know, and so it's hard to hear. It's repressed. It's told not to exist because when it's exposed, it gets hurt. And once it gets hurt, the mind throws up that, you know, buddy sword, sandals, shields, and all the other stuff. It, the mind puts that all around the heart, you know, in different forms, and you know, dressing a certain way, turning a different angle in a camera because you feel ashamed of your right ear because somebody made fun of it, or you know, it's such little shit that shows up later in life that never fucking existed to begin with. Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's that's so true. So I guess we have to carry that message to the world. Now, on the other hand, all that mask wearing, you could become an actor. You're right. You're right. And I have actors on the show. And uh, one of the things that I think is that um, method acting or acting in general actually gives someone the opportunity to live empathetically through someone else's eyes because we expect people to empathize across America, across the globe with people for experiences that they've never endured in their entire life. But you can rest assured the average person out there is not trying to be to such a degree someone else for a job they're going to have that same understanding. I think actors do have an extra leg on understanding for the rest of the world only because they've actually tried to understand. That's not all actors, you know, because let's face it, they're not all doing a good job at it. <laughs> but the ones that are, we remember. Why? Because they actually portray the role in a manner where you feel connected to them. Actors have a very good look on what society is. 
Well, and that's true. Now, I wouldn't hold myself up as an Academy Award actor, but I took some improv and my improv teacher said to me, where did you take your acting training? Well, I, I haven't had any acting training. I thought about it for a minute and then I thought, well, you know, okay, once upon a time in the corporate world, I had to act enthusiastic about the most harebrained ideas you've ever heard. I, yes. I, had, I had to pretend to like people that I despised. And I was good enough that I won the keep your job contest, you know, a few years. And, and what I've told people is that if you've been in the corporate world, if you've done a lot of acting, you just didn't know you were acting, but you were, you were acting. The majority of people are acting. Yeah, you can do, you can do the same thing. And I guess in the acting that I've done that I say, you know, that was, that was really pretty good. You just find some part of that character that you can really identify with, and then you just become that guy. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, within within limited things, you don't need a whole lot of schooling in order to do that. You just got to get out of your own way. You're 100% right. They're self-limiting beliefs because oh. those, are, those are the actual lyrics from the choir. Yes. They're telling you who you are. But remember this. And, and I, I preach this to, to everybody that have these creative outlets. And that is that people are not mindful today. They donate their mindful moments and they donate their mindful moments to creators. So the onus is on us to create things that will impact those people in a positive way going forward because we write the future. Every movie, every script, every book, every single bit of imagination we've accomplished. And what we haven't accomplished now, we will, because we can do anything. But if we're writing the wrong fucking script or singing the wrong <laughs> song, that's the direction we're going to go. Amen. Amen. Pass, pass a hat or something. Give this guy <laughs> the collection. Look, I, I love what I do. And I love when I see people like you grabbing, you know, grabbing life by the sack and just doing what you were intended to do to begin with. And I want to thank you for coming on here and giving your wisdom and using candor and humor at the same time, because that's what we subscribe to here. Why don't you tell me, is there any place that people can uh, look for you or find you so they can see these great modeling pics? Oh, well, that would be my, in my Instagram is a collection of my, my beautiful stuff. And what's your Instagram handle? At max.eric.lemberger. It'll also be in the show notes for everybody. Okay. We'll have that in there. Yeah, go, absolutely. Go, go there and help me achieve uh, <laughs> the status of somebody who has a couple of followers. I, I'm uh -huh. telling you, man, I get so many vibes. Like, I see... When Robin Williams played the professor in Goodwill Hunting, or no, the psychiatrist in Goodwill yes, Hunting, yeah. I see that when I look at you because it's such a wise role. You have such wisdom, and then you have, you know, the beard, and yeah. it's, it's, it's a good look. I feel like people are going to donate their mindful moment to you. Oh, well, that's that's good. The, the films that I've done are, you know, a lot of them are student films, short films that don't get broadcast anywhere. However, I did just shoot for one that I, I wrote, I was a co-writer on, but I play a cobbler in that. I can uh, see that. Who does, who does a, a kind act. Uh, the, the, the tapestry we weave is, is what it's called. And it's about how our little actions 
affect people. And so we have characters that are on two different tracks by how people have, have treated them. And my role is as a cobbler. And it just sort of, yeah, this is, you go into the, go into the leather shop, you put on the apron, you got all the smells around you and bam, you know, you're the cobbler. You know, but what, what's under that is the fact that you're trying to bridge that divide. You're trying to show people that we're only the sum of our experiences over time, and that everything is a ripple effect. See, that's 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 the way you use a mindful moment. You created, you're describing the acting piece, but at the end of the day, you're giving people a roadmap on how things unfold, how to be better people. Yeah, that was that was the idea there. The other character of mine that I've done several times, I do for a woman who makes industrial training films. And I hardly ever get to see these. My <laughs> God, those are the worst on the planet sometimes. Well, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the thing about it is the guy that I the play. The old ones were. The guy that I play in this is an older machine uh, maintenance guy at this plant. And they're enacting new changes. Everybody respects him, but he's the guy that isn't going along. <laughs> oh, you were the guy that opposes change. I'm it's guy, hard for you. It's, you don't it's, like it. It's hard for me. And when she first uh, <laughs> pitched this character to me, the first time I did, she said, do you think you can do this guy? And I said, oh, my God, I worked with this guy in the factory 50 years ago. I know exactly who this guy this is. This guy is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, this guy <laughs> is everywhere. And, and yeah, her, her thing, she's one of these corporate change people, and she does her things, you know, through stuff of getting characters to help with it. But she works for primarily for a company that has secured work facilities, so everything is highly secret. And so they don't, they don't release the clips. So, yeah, because you are the uh, you're the actor inside of those internal corporate trainings, which is hysterical. So, you know that every time you do one of these little things, there's a multiple choice that pops up yes. after you about yes. how to treat you in this, in this yes. moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> you're, and, you're still affecting change. And apparently the character works so well that next time I'd gotten with the producer director with it they kept calling me by my character name <laughs> you, you got typecast oh yeah I'm, I, you know and i i think um there's nothing wrong with being with being typecast uh, oh it pays the bills pays you know pay, pays the bills but anyway yeah where to say my best acting stuff isn't anywhere where people can see it so go to instagram <laughs> i'm just trying to think now now you have me wondering if I were to be selected to be in one of these videos, what would my multiple choice questions be? Yeah. No, academics, don't answer that question. There, there, is a, there is a good exercise for you for one of those positive motivation things. What question? Oh, that, could, that could go down in flames, too. Yeah. I'd probably be stupid about it. If you ask my wife or any of my friends, there would be some pretty ridiculous ridiculous yeah, responses they, they, in they there. Say, how do you want it? Alphabetical or chronological? Uh, <laughs> Put all sorts of shit in all, there. All, all sorts of things. So, <laughs> you know, I'm also on Facebook under, under the, the same uh, name. No, oh, no. I guess if you really want to see me, then you go to Shop HQ. <laughs> hey, yeah, if you guys are out there, man, when you've got at 11 p.m. and you've got your feet up and you're flipping through the channels and you get sucked in by that music and the hi, check this out. Check this out. You're yeah. stuck. 
And yeah, there, there, there you go. So yeah, those, those are the places. So yeah, go to Instagram and, and follow me <laughs> at your own <laughs> peril. <laughs> at your own peril. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks again, Max, for coming on. I, I can't thank you enough for all of the uh, wisdom that you've imparted on us. And the fact that you're out there setting an example for all of us over, you know, a certain age, that life is uh, not about the self-limitations. It's about how you embrace exactly. your well, abilities. Thank thank you. It's it's really been a joy, a pleasure, a lot of fun. Uh, if you run out of people to talk to. <laughs> you know. Oh, you're always welcome back. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. All right, academics, remember, be cool and keep learning. Hey, academics, thanks again for attending another class at the Tragedy Academy. You can show us some love by subscribing, downloading, and rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or ask Amazon Alexa to play the Tragedy Academy podcast. You can find links to all major podcast platforms and past episodes at thetragedyacademy.com. You can find us on all the majors of social media on Instagram at the Tragedy Academy 2019, on TikTok at The Tragedy Academy, and on Twitter at Tragedy underscore Academy, where we'll post our clips of upcoming shows, updated info, and thoughts. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to show at thetragedyacademy.com. Keep an eye out on Instagram for Tragedy Academy giveaways. Thanks again for coming to class, and remember, be cool, keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, They've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents. And Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade, and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs 
for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. End of the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the AM. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to thetragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.